have the honor of introducing our speaker this morning, but before I do that, there was one announcement that was missed earlier. Uh, you heard Meredith pray for Russell and Sharp, and she is one of our members who is in need of some care from our church family. And if you are willing to prepare a meal to help out through this treatment time, could you please contact Jeannie Hildebrand or the church office? Uh, that would be wonderful. Being part of this family who has just received that kind of love and care from you all, I know that it would mean a great deal to her. I first met Dr. Gerald Winslow when I was a student at Walla Walla, and a friend of mine said, if you want a really good religion class, take Life and Teachings from Dr. Winslow, which I did. And I soon discovered that it wasn't your ordinary everyday kind of class where you go and you sit and information is kind of spoon-fed to you, but he made us think, and it was a great awakening, uh, a, a refreshing class to take. After he left Walla Walla, he spent time teaching at PUC and eventually came down to Loma Linda where he became the dean of the Faculty of Religion. He is an ethicist and a scholar, and he has many, many publications to his name, and I could spend a long time telling you about all of those, but this is church, and you're my family. And so I want to take this chance to introduce a friend of mine to my family. Dr. Winslow is married to Betty, who is a professor in the, faculty of, uh, in the School of Nursing at Loma Linda. They have two daughters. And if you got to know him, you would discover that he likes to spend some time in his backyard. He loves to find the best flavored grapes, and he grows some of the best peaches around. He's also an artist. You would discover that as you looked around and found pieces of woodworking that he has done. And you might also find that if you were to look on his website and find the stunning world-class photography that he does. He is a man of integrity and compassion and great wisdom. He currently is the Vice President for Mission and Culture at Loma Linda University Medical Center, and I have the privilege of working for him. I know some people who look forward to Sabbath when they can come to church and completely forget about work. But I have to tell you that when I saw that Dr. Winslow had been asked to speak here at Calamesa, I was very excited because I am always inspired and stimulated when I hear him speak. And so it's my honor and privilege to welcome Jerry Winslow. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Kathy, uh, you have the day off. You know, good and well, she wasn't going to follow my instructions anyway when I said keep it short. But then, how does someone of Kathy McMillan's stature keep anything <laughs> short? <laughs> Thank you for letting me to come to camp meeting. Is, is it true that even the preachers can be in shorts, in, in shirt sleeves uh, at camp meeting? Yeah. Oh, I've been wanting to do this. <laughs> 
I was going to say it's the first time I've ever been able to do that in church and put my coat down on a bale of straw, but actually that's not quite true. I did it at the first service, so <laughs> I got to do it again. Congratulations to the Randolphs, whose flowers are over here. It just reminded me that this next Thursday, one dare not forget this, will be my 42nd anniversary, a great marriage. Thank you. I'm just thinking of how much my great marriage would be enhanced if, they, if my wife just could have heard Kathy's introduction. Uh, maybe it's on tape. This is family talk. My father and mother used to gather us around occasionally for family talk when we had certain family matters to discuss about things to purchase or how much money we didn't have or whatever. And uh, this is family talk. It's about our family identity. You see, I grew up Adventist. By show of hands, how many of you, like me, were raised in an Adventist home? Look at this. It worked, didn't it? <laughs> there are all of us here uh, still in the faith. I was born in March. By July, I went to my first camp meeting. The only one that really counts, Gladstone. <laughs> Sorry, Rod. <laughs> And when you assemble with 18 to 20,000 people, yes, it is inspiring, really. And uh, so I'm part of that sawdust trail, the old camp meeting tradition. I never missed the Gladstone camp meeting for 21 years. And the first year I finally did, it was a little grieving, you know. I love camp meeting. I love the music. Thank you for the music. Thank you, Brother Calvin. Thank you, Kelly and Janet. Thank you, uh, the keyboardists. I love the camp meeting music. So I grew up Adventist. I went back for an alumni weekend in Berkeley a few years ago. Maybe I have this on my mind because I'm going to be in Berkeley to celebrate my anniversary Thursday. And uh, I was back in Berkeley a few years ago for an alumni homecoming. And there was a rather tall woman with her name card on. And I recognized her as being about the same vintage as I am. It's a good vintage, but it's kind of old. Um, it was another century, even a different millennium, actually. Um, and there she was, and uh, she saw my name tag, and we were exchanging stories. She explained to me that she'd become an Episcopal minister and uh, also a Buddhist, which makes for an interesting combination. <laughs> Those things can happen in Berkeley. <laughs> I sometimes tell people that this, is a, this beard explains a lot. It's the only souvenir I could afford um, from that time. But uh, she looked at my name tag and she said, you mean you went all the way through a doctorate in Berkeley and you're still an Adventist? Is that a great opening or what? She had a little twinkle in her eye when she said that, so I felt emboldened. And I said, well, you know, it was when I was in Berkeley that I discovered how much the world needs what my faith community has. See, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be an Adventist, do you? Oh, she said, tell me, tell me more. What are you talking about? And uh, why would you say that? Now, it would be wonderful if we just had time. And, and really, this, I prefer to teach, Kathy, because I would love to stop right now and say, you over there, what would you say? <laughs> and what do you think of that? We don't have, I guess you can't do that in church, but just imagine it happening right now. You're telling your seatmate, You've got this, I call them elevator speeches. You've got just this time from one floor to the next to say, okay, you tell me. 
I said the list is long. I could go on and on, but here are a couple. I learned from my faith community the importance of sacred time. We get a day off not just to play or go to games or whatever. We get a day off to be with each other in the Lord every week. Is that a gift? Yeah. It's not a burden. It's a wonderful gift that the world needs and we have and we could share. It's missing even in much of Christianity. They, they just kind of churn along day after day as if we're all the same, but we know it isn't. Every week we get a foretaste of eternity where time doesn't really matter. All week long we try to master the stuff of the world, but then it stops. It's like heaven, isn't it? Well, all of you who are students or about to go off to school, you must know that this was a gift, especially for students. You get to quit studying all of those things and take the day off. That's a great gift. And then I said another gift for my community is the goodness of embodied life. God wants us to have a wholesome life. We're not split like wispy, spirity things in a machine. We're one person. We're, we are souls. That, by the way, is why Adventists run healthcare all over the world, isn't it? So one of my friends who's traveled the world a good bit and who isn't part of our faith community said, I've noticed one thing. There are, just, there are two things, actually, that I can find all over the world. Wherever I go, Coca-Cola and Adventist healthcare. And my rejoinder was, well, I'm, I'm glad, I hope at least one of those is good for you. <laughs> Yet we're in the health business because we think the gospel is practical. It's for the whole person. We didn't divvy people up as if the spirit didn't matter or the body didn't matter. We're just one person. That's a gift. It's something we could share with the world. It's not really just that we could live longer, although apparently the evidence is there that we do. Some people say it only seems that way, but, uh, <laughs> but the point would not be to have just a few more years on this planet. The point is rather more prophetic than that, isn't it? There's a point to all of this. And I want to get at it in, a, in our text for the morning, which is in, as you would guess, Revelation chapter 12. You know the key text, but I want to get a running start at it because I don't like it when they just read a few words, you know, like the 17th verse, part B or something, I think we get a better sense of this if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 12, and we'll start with verse 10. It's never a bad Sabbath morning if we read the Bible together. All right, let's do verse 10, Revelation 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming. Now, this is a hymn. This is a song that's about to be read. You can't hear the music, and if if only Shannon and Kelly could sing it for us, it would be, I'm sure, beautiful. I don't know the tune. Maybe we could write some music for it. But this is a hymn. Now have come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, or Christ. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. That's right, Kelly. That's why he had to die. It's for the victory of the Lamb. Going on in verse 11, and by the word of their testimony, for they did not cling to life even in the face of death. Rejoice then, you heavens, and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. The devil has had it. 
His time is up. That's what's being declared here. So, you think the devil is ha happy with that? Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Oh, rich symbolism all the way through. Wish we had time for it all. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. Prophetic times here. Then from his mouth the serpent poured forth water like a river after the woman to sweep her away in a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. It opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Now this is the text you've been waiting for, I think, the theme of our camp meeting series. Then the dragon was angry with the woman, the church, and went off to make war with the remnant of her children, those last ones in the last days, those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. I grew up in this faith, and I've had a lot of practice answering that question that I was asked in Berkeley. Being an Adventist, going to a public school because there were no parochial schools nearby, and yes, please do support your church school, that's good of you. I had many occasions, like the time they slipped the ham in my sandwich just to see what would happen to that Adventist kid if he ate the wrong thing. <laughs> like the time my high school coach said, as we faced an important game on a Friday night and I was his point guard, couldn't you get a dispensation from your bishop? <laughs> a letter, maybe? And I had to explain to him, well, first of all, no bishop. <laughs> I learned later we actually have them, but I didn't know. Um, <laughs> And in any case, it wouldn't have mattered because he wouldn't write me a letter, and it wouldn't matter if he did because it's my faith. Now, all of those of you who raised your hand growing up in this family, at some point you have to ask yourselves, and you're still Adventist? Why? It can't just be the faith of our fathers living still because it wouldn't be living if we didn't ask ourselves that question and come up with some kind of an answer. That's what this series is about, this camp meeting. I do believe that God has a prophetic people who will preach the whole gospel to the world, the whole world, and there will be faithful people who keep God's commandments. No discount, no 50% off, no 10% off, all of the commandments. And we will keep the testimony of Jesus because in the end, it's really all about Him. There's a thing that sometimes is on pulpits. There's no pulpit here today to have one on, and even if there, well, yes, there is maybe, uh, but you uh, wouldn't see it there perhaps because it's, you can see through it. But sometimes on pulpits where preachers preach, there's a little sign that says, sir, we would see Jesus. Lou, you're a preacher. Have you ever seen that little sign, sir, we would see Jesus? I have too. There was a different one that got me in a different way when I was getting up to preach once. It said, it's a little different wording, it said, Jesus this is for you. I like that sign. It's a little prayer. It's not about us. It's about him. And it's not about status. See, I know those questions about the remnant. Well, we could go on and on um, splitting theological hairs over it. Those loipas, the, the leftover ones, the leftovers, you could even say, these remnant at the end. Is membership in a denomination necessary to be part of the remnant? 
Are there other faithful members of the body of Christ who have different labels? Will everybody who's saved in the end be official members of the same organization? You know those questions, don't you? Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't like those questions much because they have a tendency to divide people by the way they answer them. And that's not what this gospel is about. It's about unifying people. Besides that, it's not about status. That's a dangerous thing, that seeking of the special status. Jews in Jesus' day sometimes made that mistake. Remember when they said, oh, we have Abraham's as our father. We've never been in bondage to anyone. And Jesus said, you better know the truth. It'll set you free from that, that arrogance, all of that self-satisfaction. No, that's not what being part of the remnant's about. Being part of the remnant is living the remnant life. It's living a life of faithfulness. It is being part of a family that's been called from all over the world to celebrate God's love together. There's a passage that I brought along from one of our founders of this church. You may recognize it. It is the darkness of misapprehension of God that's enshrouding the world. Men are losing their knowledge of his character. It has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. And what the passage says is, we get to go on and help people understand the truth about God's character. And these are the words I want at the end. Those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, behold your God. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. In another passage, the same writer says, it is love alone which in the sight of heaven makes any act of value. Love alone. So those of us who keep the commandments faithfully have to understand that Jesus was constantly wanting to help his disciples see in those commandments something deeper than mere authoritative commands, to find in them the character of God and the great gifts that God has given us. We get to share that message with the world. The truth is, of course, through time there have been many different remnants. Joseph said, I was preserved as a remnant, he said to your brothers, so that you wouldn't all die out. And through the prophets, we see that there was always a faithful people who made it through tough times so that God could build again on their faithfulness because that's his plan. So it is today. We get to share that love with the whole world, to every nation, tongue, kindred, tribe, people. I teach at a university and work in a place where students come from almost 90 different countries every year. It is the United Nations. My wife taught in Thailand a class of about 20 students from about a dozen different countries in January. And I, it dawned on me as I was teaching in Moscow just last month that in my class were people from countries that are now warring. There were, I had students from Georgia and from Russia and Siberia and Moldova and so forth. And then it, I realized that what the United Nations can't do what has never been possible since the Tower of Babel, the church does every day by calling together people of all kinds to one family. Look at us. All of the differences that we have and all the places we've come from. And yet here we are as brothers and sisters, one family, and we have the privilege of inviting the whole world to join that family. I've had many experiences of that over the years, as you probably have. Here's one that stands out to me as a father. 
My younger daughter, the one who's always the chipper one, was studying in Europe, and she and her friends were to go visit my, fr my friend, uh, Dr. Schrode and his wife, in Wittenberg, Germany. Dr. Schrode is a well-known surgeon there. And they got to Berlin, got on the train to Wittenberg, and then I got a call, a rather tearful call from my daughter who said, Dad, um, we're in the wrong town. See, they looked at the sign and it said Wittenberge. Actually, they didn't notice that E at the end. And it was, well, all the letters count, even in German. It was just a, it was just a different place. And in fact, they'd gone about an hour or so north by train, northwest, uh, when they should have gone southeast. And, um, well, they were in the wrong place. I said, look, I'll figure out a way. Sit tight. They were in the train station. No more trains coming or going. Middle of the winter. No hotel in sight. What to do? This is not the call that dad wants to get, right? Just a few minutes later, I got a call from Dr. Schrote. Where were they, he wondered. They were supposed to show up at the train station, and they weren't there. I explained the situation to him. He said, don't worry. I know the elder in our church nearby. He'll take care of them. A little later, I got a call from my daughter. Somebody was coming to pick them up. I explained. And the next day, I got this call from her. She said, Dad, you'll never believe it. They took us in like we were their own daughters. They gave us milk and their version of cookies and bedded us down. And when we tried to pay them the next day, they said, well, that's not acceptable. You're like our own daughters. I said, well, guess what, Angie? They're really your family. That's the way you'd treat people if they came from your family and they were in need, wouldn't you? Do you think that made an impression on that teenage daughter of mine? She belongs to a worldwide family of millions of people who will take you in if you need to. Not like Robert Frost's where, uh, poem where the hired man comes back and the line says, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. No, if you need to go to this place, we want to take you in. We would love to have you be part of this family. Well, I saw exactly what I'm talking about one night in the airport in Spokane. Spokane, Washington, I was trying to get back to Walla Walla College probably to teach Kathy McMillan, and it was, <laughs> it was one of those foggy nights, and we were fogged in, and I'd gotten into Spokane, but I couldn't get out, nothing was flying, and there I was sitting in a little round anteroom of a cafeteria. It had orange walls and little disgusting round tables with formica tops, and I was reading papers and so forth and just wishing the thing would change. And when, uh, when a couple came in and they sat across from me, if you can do that in a round room on the other side, and I noticed that they were a little overdressed for a midweek evening, and I noticed that they fidgeted quite a bit, and they had a big black bag. And she said to the man, did you bring the diapers? And he said, yes. Well, by now I was only pretending to read my papers. And I was like, the one thing about round rooms with smooth walls, it's like stereo. The sound comes around and I'm reading my papers, but I'm really tuned in. The real clue was when she said, I wonder if he'll have hair. What do you think I was going to see? 
I was going to see the birth of a baby. Not, not the biological birth, like last January or whatever, but I was going to see the social birth of a baby. And sure enough, the fog lifted eventually. They were you both using Northwest Airlines, and Spokane was just a nice hub for people coming from Alaska and Minnesota. And in walked a matronly-looking woman with a little bundle, and she met the people probably in a preordained place, and there they were. And I watched for the first time as that little babe was placed into mother's arms, and she opened up like it was a piece of fine crystal that might break. She opened up and looked in for the first time, and she said, oh, he's just beautiful. Now, I have to tell you this. I've always thought little babies were kind of funny looking. <laughs> Sorry? Little bumps on their nose, kind of blotchy, head a little bit misshapen, and so forth, still recovering. I can only think of two exceptions. <laughs> so when the mom came by me in a little outburst of motherly pride, she looked down at me, I think noticing me for the very first time, and said, did you see our new baby? And I stood up, and I looked down in that face. And I saw not what I might usually see. I saw what God sees when he looks at the remnant. And I said, he's just beautiful.
today don't forget down front here there'll be two places for you and come again next week would you when Julius Nam will be with us Jerry thank you this morning so go church with the faithful one go with the one who calls you beautiful and who calls us to be the beautiful remnant in our world in the name of Jesus through the power of the spirit